kids official sliding on the instrumental nordic combos twist your mental life forbidden peace to the public and power to the people you are now in tune with the space where the vulnerable are powerful and where the most gangster thing you can do is serve this is as always all the way live this is undoubtedly the all the way live show i'm miles <laughs> i'm not miles i'm swift <laughs> <laughs> and i'm with my brother miles we're all miles you know we <laughs> <laughs> we're all miles on this show and what we do every single week is come through with the show that gives you that carefully curated content for your cranium we do it weekly we do it consistently and we do it for a host of reasons some of those reasons are we do research we interrogate things and we give you all some stuff that sounds smart around your friends and at a dinner table with, you know, say drop a little smart quote in, in between conversations. Have people be like, yo, where did you? That's interesting. What did you hear about that? Big facts. Big facts. This is the space where art meets impact. <laughs> all the time. Art meets impact. And what we do this for, the reason we do it for more than anything, man. And I know for me personally this week, I'm you know, extremely grateful for this space is that we know people are going through things, man. We know people are going through depression. We know people are going through loneliness. We know that suicide is at an all-time high. Um, we know that things are tough for people, man. And so what we try and do is create a space of positive, intentful energy. So you can come through over here, get some of that, some of that positive energy and keep you going throughout the week, keep you going throughout the day to be the best version of yourself, man. And it gives me all the joy to be able to say that we do it weekly and this week ain't no different no it's not and i definitely feel like i'm my best self in this space so thank you for joining me in conversation here thank y'all out there exodus in the building in a big way uh via's way and i sign on the board shout out to our producer man holding things together can't do this thing without you uh, and on this side, you know what's going on, man. It's a rainy, uh, snoozy, sleepy, slow Sunday in Chicago. Uh, this podcast is recorded on stolen land. This land was cared for by the Potawatomi people, the Council of the Three Fires, and the violence done to remove them from this land is inseparable from the violence that we see in this city today, this country today, and this world today. So we got to acknowledge that. We got to work on that. Got to lift up love between black and brown people the world over. We got to lift up love for indigenous people the world over. And that's how y'all know the intro's over. We about to get into the show. Yeah, 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 I get that, I get that. But is we live, though? Is we, like, all the way live, though? You heard? This is the space, like my brother Miles said, where impact meets art. Miles is a community organizer serving in the south side of Chicago, putting together all sorts of... Um, activations and community gatherings. I myself regard myself as a activist as well, working with Miles through our foundation, the Mandula Foundation, connecting the diaspora, bringing kids technology, bringing kids internet, food this year. As we like to say, man, we're on our way to be able to deliver tens of millions of meals out to the people that need them. Um, we do that and we also highlight folks that are uh, we also highlight folks that that 
make an impact throughout their art, man. And this week, it ain't no different. We're about to do the same thing, too. We're highlighting some super dope art. Uh, Miles Xavier, talk to me about who we got coming up this week on our Artist Spotlight, man. Today, we're taking a look at Julian Alexander. Uh, some fire, some fire stuff for us to 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 just talk through, um, and I appreciate how you introed the segment. Right, uh, you you kind of told them what our lens is, that impact lens, that community work lens. But this is also a space where we just talk about what we like. Right, that's why we do this segment. That's why we do the record review segment. That's a little popular. You know what I mean? We like to talk about the stuff that gets us through the day, the stuff that really resonates with us, and and Julian's art is is some of that. Uh, so. Yeah, we'd love to shout out the homies. It's also a way that we build engagement for the show. We've definitely been able to make some dope connections. Shout out to the Goody Room. Uh, but yeah, it's just been amazing to be able to use this part of the show and this segment to highlight other people that are doing amazing work. It's all because like there's so much dope art that's happening right now. There's so much dope, incredible art that's happening. So as I, I don't like to say the word uh, collector, you know, because true art collectors will let you know it takes many, many years and many seasons of, of putting things together to be able to call yourself a collector. However, somebody that does invest in art and somebody that takes their art as some of their prized possessions, you know, me and you, like, we, we share that together. What people don't know about us is that we go on art dates sometimes, you know, we go to galleries and we look up fly stuff. And when I see this work by Julian Alexander, it's very much in line with some of the things that if I was with my brother, I'd be like, yo, check this out. How dope is this? Very fire. I think, I think, I don't know if art dates uh, indicates how comfortable and, and consistently you spend time in galleries, right? I feel like in that in that space, right? I feel like is it really a date if we just chilling where you already be at? Like you, this is you're a gallery. I don't want to say a gallery rat, you're, but that's where that's where you be at. Um, and you're right though. Like maybe the right term is aspiring curators. Maybe that's what we are in this space. And a lot of the stuff that we like to curate is is fire. Um, I'm especially moved by depictions of black folks, man, and, and all of their joy and all of their brilliance and radiance, um, unabashed depictions of black folks. And I think that's what Julian Alexander brings with his art. Um, I see myself in it and not myself always that I present to the world, but myself that um, I feel, right, that I feel when my music's on and it's nobody watching. So the art that makes you feel that way, um, the art that reminds you of scenes from your childhood or from your day to day that resonates with you. Uh, this is this is that for me. I love the colors, the use of shading, all of it. Yo, Julian, we think your stuff is dope, man. And also we have a whole lot of other incredible creators that expose themselves towards the show. So if Julian is looking at this show, we do um, would like for you to reach out, brother, so we can continue to share your art on this platform of ours. Big up Julian Alexander. Miles, I know you do a whole lot of impact work, man. Talk to us about some of the things that are happening around impact in Chicago right now. Yeah, man. Well, uh, we're getting ready to go into back to school mode, right? Uh, post the the bike tour that I talked about a couple of weeks ago, which was an amazing event. Shout out to our high school interns. They got to come out, support, provide some people with some facts and some resources. So that was amazing. Um, but yeah, so we're getting ready to do a whole bunch of back to school fairs. Um, check out your local high school. I'm sure your local high school and elementary school, if you're in Chicago land, especially the Bronzeville area, Southside area, um, you got you for sure got a back to school fair coming. We organize those. If you don't know about one, put yourself in the comments. You know what I'm saying? So I can hook you up with a backpack and all sorts of goodies and notebooks and pencils and stuff for the kids. We got that going. 
when we was talking about um, Mandulo, you forgot to mention we 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 got our second laptop uh, recipient. They about to receive that, so that's big news, big air horn energy, right? Uh, that always feel good. As two brothers who use our laptops for our work, for our bread and butter, for this show, and whose laptops be temperamental at times, um, it's really amazing to be able to to give that away. So, in the spirit of back to school, in the spirit of being able to share resources with people, um, that's big energy too. And then on the end of the horizon, we got the Be The Healing Conference coming soon as well. That's an amazing, amazing space where Dr. Joy DeGruy, um, who is an abolitionist teacher, uh, who she shares um, some really meaningful ways to think about self-care and connect self-care to radical action and, and social issues today. So this year's con- conference is going to be themed around reparations um, and uh, acknowledging our history. It's connected to the land acknowledgement that we do for this show. But uh, the Be the Healing Conference with Dr. Joy DeGruy, that's coming up in September. Uh, I don't want to get the dates wrong, so I ain't going to say them, but it's, but it's fire. Look up Be the Healing through Organic Oneness, which is an organization that organizes dope events like that. Check that out. Uh, any other impact? Any other stuff to spotlight? Uh, look at our producer pulling it up. Yo. Oh, snap. And yeah, also, if you're in the Bronzeville area, if you're in the South Side Chicago area, we got our community celebration September 17th. Uh, so we got that going. Man, he pulled up the whole, all the save the dates. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? We got, we're going to see in Kanto in the park uh, August 20th. Uh, so if you want to bring the kids out to watch a dope Disney movie, that's going on. Yeah, man. Shout out to Hassan on the boards, man. Showing all everything. That's One of the best. Going. One of the best producers in the game. Um, like we said this week, we did give out a laptop um, into the Mandua Foundation. So congratulations to our laptop recipient. Um, there's so much to be said about um, how helpful this tool is going to be to them. But also at the same time, it's important to note how much joy it gives us. You know, we congregate as a team and we go through the applications and um, we hear these inspiring stories. So on one end, you know, we're on one end, it definitely feels good to know we're making a difference in someone's life. But it equally feels just as good to be. It's important that they know that they're making a difference in our lives, too. You know, that energy um, continues to to push us forward. And you hear about what these what these kids are going through. You know, a lot of them say that they do their work on their on their phones. That there was a lot of that, like, hey, I do my schoolwork on, on our phone. So congratulations to Usekani. Um, she is studying IT at the University of Joburg. We're very proud of you. We think you're going to make an incredible difference in the world. And we're more than happy to be able to send this lap- laptop over to you, which means it's time to get another kid to give a laptop to, man. It's another laptop got to go out. So calling for impact, man. If you do have an extra laptop, if you do have extra technology devices, if you, uh, you know, sometimes when you work in corporate, they have all these additional things that are just laying around. Hit us up. Hit us up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially if your office just turned over computers or anything like that. Ask where they're going. You know, they could go to a really good cause, a really good place. Um, and yeah, we'll continue to show you these impact stories of, of what happens when we all make moves together. So thank you for being in tune with us. Thank you for all the ways that you've contributed uh, to this space. Continue to reach out to us. And if you have any initiatives going on that we can spotlight a highlight or lift up for show for show, reach out to us on that as well, because we would love to big that up, uh, make those connections and continue to build community. So that's it. That's all I got on that one. Let's get into the show.
sometimes um sometimes I'll I'll be looking at the schedule for the show and I'll be like, which are the topics that I'm gonna introduce? And I'll be like, dang, that's a hard topic to introduce. Sometimes you just can't beat around the bush. It's no use. So this one is um sex work, the professionalization of sex work. Uh and uh, my beat brother's way. I see what you did there. Nah, nah, nah. We didn't have to call it out either. We didn't have to, but you did. And I appreciate you. I'm glad you're here with me. You went too, and I'm glad. It's a tennis match, this thing. But uh, I'm going to let you tell the people kind of the story that had us stumble upon this, um, and we'll take it from there. So I was on LinkedIn, and I see a post. And the post was that this young lady had put sex work as in her CV. And it caused, it caused outrage. Hold caused on, let outrage. Me, let me stop you right there. You you came across the post itself, or you came across the post in the form of an article? Because these are two different. <laughs> I'm real intrigued. <laughs> you see, what that is, ladies and gentlemen, is two people that have been working with each other for a long time. Thank you, my brother, for catching me. No, I was not searching for sex workers on LinkedIn. What I did however as i did see the post <laughs> the post that was indicating around the outrage that um that was shown when this person put sex work up onto their up onto their their cv and naturally as this process and this show goes i bring it over to the team and i knew that my search algorithms would be completely messed up again because typing in sex work in google turns out you got to, there's a lot that shows up. There's a lot that shows up, man. So I'd like to to hear what you think about putting sex work in a CV. Uh, bold move, bold choice. That's where I'll, that's where I'll start. Uh, but yeah, I think, and, and the woman's name is Ariel, um, or the person's name is Ariel. They identify as, as queer femme. So I'm going to, I'm going to try and keep that, keep that correct the whole way through. But when I first saw it, it made me think of a couple of other things that are going on in the world. But it also made me think like, wow, that's like, at first it's like, that's crazy. That's radical, right? But then I thought like, well, what's, well, two things, right? As an employer, what would be wrong with hiring a sex worker, right? And it took me longer to come up with like anything real than I thought. But the other thing is, <clears throat> what's braver? To post as a sex worker or to endorse that person's skills? Well, both, both take a lot of skill. <laughs> both take a lot of bravery. Both take a lot of bravery. And you've actually, you, you puzzled me with that one. As, as an employer, um, I'm not sure how I'd go about it. On one end, I'd be impressed by the honesty because a lot of the times as you're going through CVs, a lot of people aren't honest. You know, people will hype up their, um, will hype up the description of what it is that they do. If someone works at, say, a retail store folding clothes, they would be a expert um, an expert item organizer, you know, some of these, that's how people decorate words. So the honesty on that, I'd be impressed by, but it definitely does touch on the stigma of sex work, especially now that we live in an age where, um, terms like sex entrepreneur are things that, um, are being said. And, you know, there is many cases of people making absurd amounts of money off of program platforms like OnlyFans. Right. So it would be unfair to justify someone taking an, an initiative 
to do something on their own that they manage, that they invest in, that brings them income to not call that work. Um, and then looking at some of the stigma around it, it's hard not to it's hard not to see the obvious fact that because most women engage in sex work, because it's mostly women and mostly women that engage in sex work, um, that the stigma is, is there, especially when you consider the fact that sex work is technically the oldest profession. Yeah, there is for sure an irony there. Right. But also like we, at least in, in the Western world, at least from my experience, we like go out of our way to separate sex from our work environment. Like, the work, the office is designed to be a very sex-free place, right? We don't always succeed in that. It'd be a lot of harassment that'd be going on. It'd be a lot of other stuff that'd be going on. That's cool. Like, you know, it's all consensual. If it's cool, that's cool. But we think of it as places where we don't show our sexual self ever, right? Not to our coworkers. And and so that's why I think there's like this visceral reaction to seeing somebody be so on front street about it. Um but yeah, like like I said, bro, it's really it's what would be wrong with that with 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 hiring that person? Like from a perspective like you outlined, there's so many aspects of that career that would make you really good at negotiating, that would make you really good at communicating, safety, right? And these aren't things I'm coming up with off the top of my head. These are things that I kind of saw when I was exploring this. Um so the so but I think the other thing besides the fact that we're all very uptight and uncomfortable about sex, it makes us squirm and glance around the room to see who's going to talk first. Right. But other than that, I think it's the fact that in a lot of places, sex work is illegal. Right. And so there's also this. Um, well, a lot some forms of sex work. Right. Prostitution, because sex work encompasses a lot of different things. Right. But. People immediately often, as I just did, jump to prostitution, right, and use it as a blanket term. And because it's a, prostitution is illegal, there's a conflict there, I think, with the workplace that a lot of people assume, um, which I think takes us to the idea of, like, decriminalizing sex work. And is that a good idea? So the hypocrisy in it is that if you're doing sex, if you're doing prostitution, it is illegal. However, if you put a camera in that process, it then becomes art, and then it's not illegal, it then becomes porn. So sex for money is not illegal. <laughs> sex for money is not technically illegal if there's a camera involved. To all the sex workers, I say to you, keep a GoPro. <laughs> keep a <laughs> I'm joking. I'll be facetious. But it does speak towards the hypocrisy of... Uh, the the hypocrisy of those laws, like you speak, and unfortunately, like many laws that we see, people of color are tend to be unjustly uh, targeted, and at the worst end of that, in New York specifically, most of the most and almost all of the people that were arrested for prostitution or soliciting prostitution were people of color. I mean, all these issues, right? The across sectors, housing, food insecurity, everything, everything relate back to racism, right? Um, but also patriarchy, right? And all of these structures that that put us in messed up positions um, and allow us not only to not be our full selves, but to treat other people as less than human. And I think that's what our culture around putting a taboo on um, sex in general, but specifically sex work, right? And that's referring to everything from strippers to uh, our current, you know, discussions around OnlyFans. We're like, we have to, we have to start thinking 
about the bigger picture and then and, and the bigger picture when it comes to work like this oftentimes is safety right women are a lot safer and feel a lot safer when they're able to professionalize this career in ways that allow them to create safety and that's important right like that's a that makes for a better experience for everybody i think i would assume right i would i would hope uh and so i just think it's really interesting when we can't get past that uncomfortable feeling in order to have these conversations at a realer at a realer level but when you think about the idea of sex work is work, um, when you think about the idea of decriminalizing sex work for the safety of those of mainly prostitutes and stuff like that, um, yeah, what do you, what does that make you think about? Because <laughs> we know a place. <laughs> there is a place, and and it's funny you speak of this place. Like there are places where it is legal, right? So it's illegal in most states in the U.S., but. In places like Nevada and some certain states, it is legal to, to solicit sex for, for money, which it does make it very hypocritical. It's hard for me not to address the fact that it seems like to me, men are hating that men can't sell sex, mainly. You know, it's, there's no men's strip clubs, really, that are popping out there. There's no dudes out there just slanging it. You know, gigolos is a niche market. So... <laughs> I think you're I think I think you're speaking from I I don't I think the world's bigger than you think it is. No, <laughs> listen. listen. <laughs> I could I could be I, you listen, I don't know I how far you've ever looked into any of those things, but they out there, I'm sure. No, they are out there. They are. And I'm talking about straight men in particular. I'm talking straight men prostitution is uh, the small percentage of the sex workers fear. But one of the things that one of the things that I had to confront about my assumptions on it is the fact that man, definitely it does make people. It, it is um, something that is unsafe, especially prostitution. Like you said, sex work encompasses a lot of things. Um, prostitution is something that is unsafe, and you think to yourself, man, anybody that's in that place only wants to do it because they're the last resort, and it's because they they have no other choice. And although that might be true for some cases, that's not true for all cases. There are people who do see the benefits and the values of being able to provide uh, sexual services as a job in order for to help people, you know? We talk about how lonely people are right now. We talk all the time about how difficult it is to get a date, how difficult it is to... Uh, meet people in this day and age, right? And especially when you think about how porn is just corrupting our understanding of what sex is supposed to be. Um, like Miles said, I don't want to beat around the bush about it, but like people would say that sex sex workers provide an outlet for people to have a safe environment where they can come into spaces and then explore their fantasies, explore their kinks, learn better about how to service their partners. Um, and also if it's your first time and you, you, you know, you're finding it really difficult to be able to, um, get that nut off, you could go to a place where they'd be able to coax you in quite comfortably, but that can come if we open up the doors for a more inclusive, uh, sex work experience, as long as it's still made illegal, the people that will be participating in it in it are the people that thrive under illegal circumstances. And that's, again, brings us back to the point of why is it that a human function is made illegal? Um, and that's why I keep saying it's, it seems to unfairly want to be able to control the, the bodies of women is what it feels like to me. 
that's real that's real and i hope y'all out there are having as much fun as i am with all the euphemisms right we we, <laughs> we like to have fun but i think i think you highlighted a lot of really important things particularly that like there's that unwillingness is extends control over people that we don't like it shouldn't be up to us what happens with them right especially when they're telling you that they want to operate a certain way uh this this search brought me into a lot of different places uh, i learned a lot right for, about the perspective of people who are trying to create systems of safety on the street about how sex workers are natural allies in fighting against human trafficking right they're often the people that get to refer people to services that are encountering people and know can understand who's doing this because they want to and who's doing this against their will right um and just the, in general, creating a culture of respect around women that currently doesn't exist, right? I think if we continue to relegate a certain amount of people to this position where we say it's okay to not ignore them and to treat them like garbage because we don't hold the same values, we lower the standard at which to which we treat all people. And, and I think that's currently really hurting our society in terms of the way that we treat women. So I think we need to elevate the way that we treat everybody. Um, I'm glad that when we brought up different spaces, you were able to highlight some ones that are kind of in the U.S. where uh, some of this different kind of sex work is legal. Thanks for keeping it local. You know, a few people probably writing a few things down. But also I, the space that I thought was really interesting was Amsterdam, because that's always been a space that I've thought of as like free in that way. Right. Particularly the red light district is famous the world over for, um, you know allowing people to come and fulfill their fantasies in, in that type of way with brothels and, and what have you. Um, but I was also like, it connects to this conversation because over there, they're getting the same pushback and they're actually thinking about in 2021, the mayor was saying, yo, we're about to move this to the outskirts of town, create a, um, what are they going to call it? They were going to call it a uh, an erotic center, which to me sounds crazy. <laughs> I like I like Red Light District much better than Erotic Center, but it, that's a whole nother conversation, right? But I'm just saying, like that pushback that you speak of, that want to control. I think there's just a there's a discomfort, but even more than that, there's a clash of like belief systems where a lot of folks their fundamental belief system says that what this type of work is wrong, and so they there's it, that's why it continues to be pushed off to the sidelines and this is an example of that i don't know if you ever been to amsterdam we don't need to get into no detailed stories but you know what's your thoughts on this as somebody who spent time in europe and may have had the opportunity oh miles is implying that i bought sex in amsterdam my mom listens to no. the show my mom's no in I'm my just life saying, have you been to amsterdam <laughs> i have and actually ah, that's can, all i'm saying <laughs> did you spend money in Amsterdam? if we can have an open honest conversation about it dude i've been to amsterdam bro and i've walked down the red light district and i'll be upfront. and i'm sorry whoever doubled this pop it is nasty the red light district is nasty it like it is so nasty and as a boy definitely you have these fantasies about being able to be like, oh you get to see uh naked women in windows first of all the people that go to watch naked women in windows nasty people usually so you have to stand with people that feel comfortable looking at naked women in windows not a comfortable feeling okay there's a lot of trench coat action if you know what i'm talking about <laughs> a lot of over, oh oversized jackets outside of the red line it's nasty dude it's absolutely nasty look move it, <laughs> move it. put more coffee shops over there <laughs> 
<laughs> and I understand Yo, I sex work is employment for people, but like I'm just saying, like personally, I thought it was a super nasty experience. <laughs> well, see, I didn't even know what we were in for when I invited you to share your knowledge. But see, I'm glad I did. Thank you for really bringing us back down to earth, right, in terms of our realistic expectations of the red light district. Um, some images I might not be able to get out of my head, but these are the sacrifices that we make for the show. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so I, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, and that's kind of what the residents are saying. They're saying it brings out a CD population, right, that they want to disperse and they want to relegate to this different area. Folks that operate and are professionals in the red light district don't want to move. And what a lot of what they say and cites back to safety, right, where they're saying this is a easier to keep track of people in this populated area. They don't want to be moved to the outskirts where there's going to be less police. There's going to be less activity. Um, they built a community in this space and a system of support that they don't want to break down. Uh, and it's and it's really interesting to me to like hear like the mayor's perspective. Right. He was saying that they don't want the country to be known for drugs and sex they want to focus more on their history and move this district but some of these buildings in the red light district have been there for centuries right so like like we're talking about like 15th century so it's kind of like it's part of your history my dude you can't you know but I understand, you know, the Netherlands has a deeper culture that's a more about a lot of other things. I just think it's important to consider in this whole conversation the voice of these people that are are saying, um, one, that they that they need safety in this space, but two, they have so much to contribute in the ways that we all need to de-taboo and, and stop beating around the bush. Here's a real sex. question for you. Here's a real yep. question for you. If given a safe environment, would you facilitate funds and pay for say a son of yours or relative of yours that's had significant issues uh being able to be intimate with the partner right um and wants to be able to get that experience and is unable to do it given a safe environment would you encourage them facilitate it and pay for it it would be a very particular path that i think took us all the way to me paying for a sex worker to to help with that issue. I think I would hope as uncomfortable as it is to talk to about sex with your parents, that's the that's the dynamic that I know and have experienced, right? Like trying to talk to it with my kid, I would hope that we can create an open up open enough environment where we can have conversations about why that is and what are their expectations of sex and have they been watching a lot of porn and what's their partner's wants and how does their partner feel? Right. So I, I would think that there's a deeper conversation. And I I guess I would be my immediate thought isn't that the problem is that they're not with somebody who knows what they are doing and can go and get that about them. You know what I'm saying? I would think that there's probably some issues related to nerves or anxiety or, yeah, expectations around performance that I would want to make sure that it's that it's none of that. Right. Before we do something like that. That's that's very on nose with a lot of the issues that we're seeing men have, right? So there's a growing number of men between their in their twenties and thirties who are experiencing um, sexual frustration related issues like ED or erectile dysfunction. So 
on one end, they're saying that it's this oversupply of performance enhancing pills um, that young men are taking. So younger men are, are now reporting to have sexually related issues. Miles takes a sip of his water. You can infer from that what you want. And <laughs> so <laughs> there is a, but there is a big mental element. Uh, there is a big mental uh, element <laughs> to it. Go ahead, Miles. Explain the sip. <laughs> I just the vulnerable are powerful now. Yeah, big facts, big facts. I'm trying to think of like the most vulnerable thing I can say, which is that like, yeah, sex ain't porn, yo. Like, and we all hopefully get to experience different partners and learn different things from each of those partners. And I'm a learner. I'm yo. Miles. Sex ain't porn is the most vulnerable <laughs> thing you could say. <laughs> I think that's something that don't get said enough, yo. I think that's something. I I, I second that. That's my line too. Sex definitely is important. I agree. Come on, man. You don't throw the steak straight in the pan. You got to put some oil down, salt bed. What you mean? I need to ask (laughs) you something, though. I need to ask you something on this line. How were you introduced to sex through your parents? How did your parents have the talk with you? Nah, my parents was late. (laughs) My parents was late to the game. Yes, last week. They was late to the game. They was late. They was late. They was my 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 dad knew they was late. My dad knew that the it had it had went and gone. My mom was a little bit more surprised, but and that's part of the problem. That's part of the issue, right? However old I was when I lost my virginity, right? They it took them all them years to try and have that conversation and couldn't and couldn't get it done before I experienced that out in the world. And that's what we got to break down. We got to be able to have these type of conversations, yo. Um, how did your parents introduce the <laughs> the talk to you? Dare I say too early. My mom brought up way too early. <laughs> Through song. <laughs> Through song. Brought up way too early. Spectrum. <laughs> so double dutch. <laughs> I still remember the book. We pulled up. She opened up a book, and it was a it was a it was a, a sexual assault book. Actually, it's my body. Yo. It's my body. Nobody's but mine. It was a <laughs> sexual assault poetry book. Listen, yeah, I don't want. Listen, first of all, my mom's an educator, so shout out, moms, though, for what not right. the boy the right I had thing. the resources. Okay, I had the resources, and more so was more protective. You know, it wasn't just like, this is what sex is. Just like, if anybody does this to you, <laughs> no, it's wrong, you know? And that makes sense from a from a parent, uh, a parent protective aspect. Ah, got you. They went that route with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They went, they went the assault route. <laughs> also, also an important conversation. Also an important conversation. <laughs> but we got to why we be intentional about not traumatizing these kids? Got to make sure we click the not for kids on this YouTube video. But, this, <laughs> but it's yeah, man. It's that's it's serious. All of our hangups get transferred into our kids when we can't really just hash these conversations out in a real way. Um, and we, yeah, we either too late or too early. It's a balancing act. I'm trying to. We got to forgive our parents for that, right? But. The goal is to educate ourselves and be better parents and, and to be more open about those conversations in the future. Um, so many thoughts right now. But I guess the the, the most prominent as that I want to get out before we end this segment is, um, yeah, think about what, what you your thoughts are on this conversation, right? Like, what does it mean to professionalize sex work? And where are the touch points in your community that you would go and are going to get tested? 
y'all. All right, for sure. Yep. And learn more about sex work. Um, learn more about just like advance your sexual education, whether you're a parent or not. And then two, if you already on board with that and you already rocking and kind of in tune with what we're saying, then you can go and support the Sex Workers Project, which is a national organization that defends the human rights of sex workers by destigmatizing and decriminalizing people in the sex trades through the free legal services, education, research, and policy advocacy. Yeah. That's how you know my brother's an activist, always bringing in solutions, always bringing you things that you can take forward off of these conversations, man. That's why the show um, is so important for us. We like to share information um, and we like to educate ourselves. So without further ado, let's get to current news. <laughs> So, speaking of body parts, right? <laughs> speaking of body parts, um, one of the fascinating things about uh, COVID is that it's forced all of us to have to focus on um, our health and have a deeper look into our um, uh, into science and medicine and things of that nature. So, for us, it was quite an exciting stumble upon. Um, to come about this conversation about the regenerative capabilities in the science field about stem cells and potentially the ability to be able to grow new limbs. Miles Xavier, with no reference whatsoever to the previous conversation, if you had to grow a new limb, what limb would it be? <laughs> uh, I'm a, I'm a, what do they call it? I'm a, um, I'm a doomsday prepper. Right. So in the in prepping for doomsday, I would be like, let me get an extra kidney. I need the extra liver. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Extra heart. I would be I would be for show for show trying to build up all the extra body parts. You dig me? Now, the organs, straight organs. That's what I'm going for. Um, I don't play with y'all. I build myself a new fist. <laughs> Another fist, <laughs> three fists on y'all <laughs> to fight or for like black power or <laughs> all three. One black power, two to fight, <laughs> to fight. But um, part of part of that regenerative limbs uh, conversation leads into these first synthetic embryos that have been um, that have been created, right? These synthetic embryos. And part of the reason of creating those synthetic embryos is said to be able to harvest new forms of organs and whatnot. So that immediately, uh, for a lot of people, sparks up a whole lot of discussions around how ethical is it to have synthetic embryos? What does that mean? Do we have synthetic kids? I'm not the person to answer these questions first and foremost. I think it's important to be vulnerable and powerful at the same time and say that, yo, like, I don't, I have more questions than answers with this one as well. But uh, my gut reaction is if that being, when it grows up, has a full consciousness, then we have some very complicated questions ahead of us, right? Um, and we already see what the Supreme Court doing. Everybody that I would the abortion folks gonna be on y'all ass <laughs> about this. I don't know. I I don't know how to take it, but I I think we're getting into a space where the ways that we're playing with technology and are um 
yeah I, I don't it's like a reach our seeds our grasp type thing you know what i mean i'm 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 don't know if we've thought through the ramifications of this or if we just playing with it in a way that just because we can, you know what I mean? Um, so I'd be interested to learn more. What did you find out? So scientists at the Wiseman Institute in Israel found that stem cells from mice could be made to assemble into early embryo-like structures with intestinal tract, the beginnings of a brain and a beating heart known as synthetic embryos because they are created without fertilized eggs. The living structures are expected in the near term to dive deeper understanding of how organs and tissues form during the development of natural embryos. Um, but researchers believe the work could also reduce animal experimentation and ultimately pave the way for new sources of cells and tissues for human transplantation. So it, it does kind of look to move away from some of the traditional... Yo, this picture is hilarious, by the way. If you really look at what's inside <laughs> yeah. of these, is that a teardrop and then a bone? Let's go down. But if uh, part of the part of the part of how the stem cells are being harvested right now, obviously, is within the natural production of embryos. And um, on one end, you do have folks that are saying that uh, the practices of being able to do that could lead us down a very nefarious path where we are essentially got women held up producing embryos just so we can take them and produce these stem cells, um, which is why this particular element would come through with um, a solution towards that. But it's hard not to think about it in the form of, say, like The Matrix or some of these other movies that we have seen where they're just growing folks in these vacuum tubes um, and out pops Matt Damon looking like dude with his head bald out of some slimy goo. Yeah, it's yeah. I, I actually love the way that you just ended that comment because it's it's how I feel about this whole conversation, right? There are certain topics and like social questions that we don't have a space to talk about yet, and so we all are just kind of left to go with our gut feeling, like because no amount of science, no amount of explaining to me like how synthetic the baby is, like if it if it and I say baby, I'm already probably messing up scientifically, right? It's probably embryo or fetus or whatever but i think it is those emotional connections that my brain automatically makes that goes nah don't take the little baby's bone you know what i'm saying don't don't take his little teardrops you know we need we need he gonna need those um and yeah i there's an awkward question of what happens to the embryo once you know you've taken whatever you've taken from it um I think for anybody who sees that as a human life, it's going to be real hard. This is going to be a real hard question to swallow. Uh, and where is the appropriate place, especially for an adult, to like gain information for us to have conversations and and decide how we feel about this? Or are we just going to end up protesting in the streets about yet another issue like this? It, another instance, again, where the research on this show forces us to view the line between... Um, Technolo technological development and ethical and an ethical morality line and you've highlighted those ethical lines quite well how far is too far with this embryo um, with this embryo cultivation process but then on the other side there's also the reality of how many people are suffering from things such as kidney failure so about 10 percent of the population in the u.s suffer from kidney failure the average cost for those people is between a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, given the U.S. Um, the U.S. healthcare system. So the the traditional met uh, the the methods that are 
um, used now are way too expensive for people and a huge percentage of people clearly suffer from these issues. So if there is a better way to be able to harvest these things, it makes you wonder um, what is more important, the uh, process of trying to develop a solution that can help the current people or are the ethics that we pursue on that process a bit too far? And synthetic embryos, I think is important to note, does not mean babies like you say that that's that's not particularly what what it is it's tapping more so into the science the regenerative sciences that already exist within our functions livers do um regenerate themselves anyone between the ages of 7 and 11 if you cut the end of your pinky um it can regrow itself you know so there are those features it would be I, i'm fascinated in science looking at the extents that we can take to take full advantage of this universe of an organism that we don't fully um, understand, really. Yeah. And, like, I appreciate what you're saying about the amount of people that it could help, right? I think it's... And, and it makes me think of the ways in which we already produce things that we don't really want to see how it's made. And we, we are able to, like, look at hot dogs, right? It's an uncomfortable Damn. truth. <laughs> so uncomfortable truth, right? You want to talk about the hot dogs, the hot dogs of science? <laughs> <laughs> Kinda, you know what I'm saying? Like in a way that, yeah, you know, I don't particularly want to be in the the embryo shack. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if I want to see that, but I would love and be deeply moved by a story about or to have a family member that was you know, saved by this new scientific process. That's amazing. I'm sure there are people like literally praying for this right now to become an option. So from that perspective, I, I definitely see it. Um, yeah, it's it's a complicated one for sure. Especially when you understand how complicated the body really is, right? For instance, if you do have heart surgery, you can't just take one heart out of somebody and put it into somebody else. Like, it doesn't work that way. It's a very particular process. Same thing with many body parts. You can't just take a body part out and fit it into the body. The body will actually fight that body part, um, almost trying to kill it, actually, uh, which is why it's so very specific on what um, on heart transplants and, and that type of thing, right? So this can almost be an insurance of sorts where you take a piece of your body and maybe of your kid's bodies, um, and then you then you know, grow these embryos as as a just in case, just in case my eye pops out, bloop, you can just okay, that's too far. Oh, we found the line too far. <laughs> <laughs> nah, but that's like that's low-key how I opened the segment, right? By saying like if I could grow them and I was thinking, I don't know, like on the beanstalk type, like I was walking into a garden and picking bloop, pick up a heart. You know what I'm saying? Out the <laughs> out some lettuce looking like shrub. But uh, <laughs> I had to let that that just marinate, right? I had to let that sink in. But when you put it in terms of like, yeah, an, an embryo, there is this like visceral reaction to it. Um, dang, I forgot what I was going to say after that. The, vis the visual got me too. But yeah. 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 Intense. Int okay. intense. Intense visualization. Would, would you invest in something of the sort if the science had finally gone to a place? Thank you. That's actually where I was going. No, I'm betting on 3D printers. You know what I'm saying? This is still icky. And I appreciate you breaking down the science. I appreciate it. But I think we're going to, I'm going to put my money on the 3D printers to get there. Print me a liver. I'll take it. You see, there you have it, folks. Print Miles a liver is the name of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or picking hearts like shrubs. <laughs> Your viewer's choice. Hit the comments below <laughs> with hearts like shrubs. 
Print <laughs> liver. <laughs> Hearts like shrub sounds like an A boogie track. Oh man, oh man. Listen, man. This is this is what we give y'all. This is what you can expect. Um, definitely prioritize health. Um, there's a whole lot of fascinating information um around the different ways that we understand the body can work. I believe that the body is a universe unto itself. It wasn't until like the late uh the late 30s and the late 40s that we actually realized the bioelectrical capabilities that the body works in, which is to say that organs and the body actually communicate within themselves through electricity um, and store information. Something fascinating is that moths, as they turn into butterflies, their brain liquefies. They liquefy within that cocoon, but can still hold memory. Bruh. Yeah, I've taken a few things that liquefied my brain, but never <laughs> never like that. I didn't come out a butterfly. <laughs> you were a fly, though. <laughs> you were a fly though. You were a fly. Hey man, this is the show that we give y'all. This is the show that we give y'all. We come through here and talk about embryos. We come through here talking about all sorts of information and whatnot. And we know what y'all are here for. Yeah, it's one thing. And one thing only. Uh and we, we bring you that every week. Wreck and review. <laughs> This one's personal. All right. I'm speaking to the 80% of black men out there that had rap aspirations at some point. Joey Badass uh, was really the only rapper that I ever felt a type of way about. Um, and their rapping ability. I think I've been uh, overly critical of Joey Badass in the past because Joey Badass is... Uh, my age, he's literally like a couple months younger than me, right? And he's been in the game since I was like 16, you know what I mean? So there's like a, there's an interesting relationship, I think, with like wanting to rap and, you know, seeing somebody who was young and, and really trying to be lyrical and putting out music. Um, and I always had respect for him. Rap better than him, for sure, but always had respect for him. And, uh, Controversial, and this project, this project, I get to say that, man. I'm a podcaster. That's the whole point. I'm out the game. I'm retired. That's if if nothing else, I get to make ridiculous statements like that. But no cap, this is an um, this is a really dope project. It's one of my favorites from Joey Badass. Hats off to him. Um, I think this shows maturity and growth from a project that was already really, really, really fire in 1999. So. Um, this is like a moment. This I just appreciate it. I love I love good hip hop, and and this is that to me. Uh, and I love bringing these conversations to you. What did you think? Very much in the same way, man. I like I like I just like to thank Joy Badass for making this album. And I, and we don't I don't come through and say that often about music, but I just like to thank this man for making this album, man. You know, um, it it at its essence, it's a love letter to his best friend, Capital Steez. Um, it, it really does touch on the, the loss of Capital Steez who um, took his life, um, who took his life in 2012, shortly after Joy Badass had dropped 1999, within that same period. Um, when 1999 did drop, uh, Joey did come onto the scene 
as um, this was in the time of uh, purple swag. This was in the time of music making a bit of a shift back into the New York scene, but through the ASAP lens, through the Flatbush zombie lens, um, through the um there, there was there was a, a a bubbling noise within within New York right and prior to that asap scene it was a it was very west coast driven music we were busy you know we we're busy dancing a lot of it so Joey in 1999 came as a fresh breath of air um with this very classical New York sounding hip hop that hadn't been heard in a very long time um 1999 really leaned quite heavily on uh, the the traditional hip hop boom bap sound that um, boom bap sound that people know hip hop for. So being that young and being able to encompass um, so much um, what they'd call an old soul was an impressive feature that made Joey Badass stand out among his um, among his contemporaries. So songs like Illuminati, Survival Tactics. Um, you know, all all those things coming out of 1999 was was extremely extremely impressive and gave people that feeling of old school New York. Um, he continued that with um, he continued that going on to Badass in uh, 2015, which was really dope too. Uh, but people kind of started feeling like Joy Badass lost a step, um, especially when he went into that All American Badass, which was a commercial success. But people were like, man, he's he's becoming too commercial. He's becoming too commercial. So after dropping American Badass in 2017, we see we saw Joey Badass now venture into all sorts of other media um, expressions, particularly acting. Um, uh, you know, going into going into the the acting sphere, and we didn't really hear back from Joey Badass in a, for for a while. So to come through and drop 2000 as a direct um, continuation of the the standout album 1999, it said a lot off the rip about what Joey is trying to say with this album. So 2000 comes in and it's like, okay, this is the continuation of what many feel is your best work. What's going to happen here? How are you going to continue with it? And if you're looking at what growth looks like, but still keeping tight towards what made you, uh, what made you popular amongst your core fans and what confidence in hip hop likes and what it looks like to execute on a continuation after 10 years. It says a lot, man. It says a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, I think this particular album right here is, um, one of Joey's, one of Joey's best work, man. It's, it's really good. It's really good. Yeah. It's, um, standout is the word, right? Standout and, and, and standing on your own too, right? Joey is somebody who's been in the game, as long as some of the rappers that um, we we really like think of as the voices of this generation, right? Like Joey was coming out around the same time as Kendrick, maybe even a little bit before that that Kendrick really blew up mainstream. Um, and so it's really interesting. And I want to circle back to this conversation about his peers and who are his peers and what conversations he's in. But I just want to really commend this brother for like really just being himself, right? He never, so many trends since his first album, right? So many different types of music, so many phases of hip hop. And Joey has remained himself. He's remained New York throughout the entire, the entire duration. Um, I like what you said about All American Badass and it was kind of a more commercially aimed album, but I still felt like even in that, he was trying to bring his ability to that, to that, 
arena and to, and his his style to that arena it doesn't always work. Um, artists swinging for that commercial fence is often some of my least favorite projects, but it shows that he hasn't. I don't know, man. It's like when you say that they, people felt like he lost a step, I never felt like he lost a step. I just felt like he was trying something different. And when you got the longevity that he has, um, I think that's really commendable. Shout out to his acting gigs too. I was uh, I dug um, Raising Kane in season three. That was fire. Like or not, not 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 even season three. It's like Power, Book of Kanan, season one. And I'm already saying too much about a show about power, but uh, that that particular series was fire, and Joey did a good job in that. Um, so yeah, man, 2000. Some of my favorite tracks. The, I love the way he opened this album. The baddest make me feel where I belong. Uh, some some dope stuff. Cool to see Westside on it. Uh, but then zip codes. Um, I love how he showed zip codes. One of us with Larry June. Fire. Uh, I like with Welcome Back and Show Me. Kind of the more romantic tracks he kind of did a fun one and then showed like a more mature side of his romantic song making ability like survivor's guilt gets deep into what you were saying man about you know the loss of a homie the loss of a friend and i think we can all relate to that um there's so much here man it's deep and he really he really delivered um which brings me back to what i was saying bro we've had a few conversations now especially with the recent releases west side boogie um you know we we've thrown a few names around who are Joey's peers and does Joey belong in that um, fight for who the next generation's best rapper is? That's up to him. That's up to him. Um, and, and if, you know, if we look at the break that he took from 2017 to putting this out and the significant difference in the type of style that he comes out with um, between his last offering to this one, um, definitely you could put him in contention with that. The the honesty is there, the vulnerability is there, the the, the skill set is there, the intentional um, arrangement of music is there. Jumping straight into that first track by leading with Diddy, what that's saying is I'm making a statement. Like, this is a New York album. I'm going to get New York's heavy hitter. I'm going to get one of the bosses of New York to sign off on this first track. Um, I'm gonna talk my I'm gonna talk my shit and then going into where I belong. I belong right here. And this is where he says Kendrick, Cole, and Joey. That's where he puts himself. But I like the other contemporaries that you've put around him, which is your West Side Boogies, which is your Jid, who he features on this album. Anytime somebody features Jid, it says one thing and one thing only. I'm here to rap. I'm here to rap. That's that's all I'm here to do. Um not my favorite song off the album. However, it still doesn't take away from the value and the statement that it makes. If you don't want to rap, you're not going to put Jid on your album. I don't care what type of beat you're trying to put on because Jid, Jid's going to rap. Jid, Jid's going to Jid. You know what I'm saying? So um, his contemporaries, you'd have, I would have to say Chance the Rapper. The interesting thing, Miles, is that it seems this move is successful for Joey and something that I would want to say chances looking to emulate going into this new phase in his career after so much um critical uh, so after so much success and then having a bad reception of his last uh, couple of albums it it looks like Joey is setting the line of what it looks like to 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 have your old work be loved and then dropping something that is in that that pays homage, not homage, but like it speaks towards your core fans, but still is pro progressive in in its content and in its sound, you know, because this is very progressive, um, very progressive, mature music. You know, he's our age, so a lot of the things that he says I relate to. Um, who else would you 
put around him as a uh, as his contemporaries. Um, yeah, I mean, I wanna. I, I think this album puts him in that conversation with Reason and Boogie and Isaiah Rashad in terms of he's not he's not far from from that mantle. Uh, I agree with you that that Chance is knocking at that door, trying maybe even a little bit harder for that distinguished art side with a bar about a bar and um, his most recent releases and even the artwork that he's choosing for those. But it feels organic from Joey. It feels effortless. It feels like not like 1999 in terms of that same boobap sound, but that that skill set is allowing him to make more mature music, like you said, mature in content um, and also mature in sound, man. This is like, you know who else could have rapped on almost all of these beats is Rick Ross. And whether or not you love Rick Ross as a rapper, that's high praise in terms of beat selection. This is luxurious rap. Um, this is great. Like this is the, he's going for timeless music, and that and that really shows. Um, yeah. So with that, I want to hit you with a couple rapid fire ones, like uh, Joey Badass or Reason. Personal personal preference, especially after this album, it has to go to Joey Badass. You, you. Um, I I gotta say that 2000 is better than New Beginnings, but I would I'll still say that Reason is yeah personal preference. I would say I still there's something about Reason's straightforward delivery and his persona that I really identify with. Um, but Joey, I, I I'm not mad at anybody saying Joey's better. And if you had to, if I had to make an objective list, I'd probably put Joey above. Him. Just so. And that's saying a lot. That's saying a lot. The What you said about Joey's music coming out effortlessly, I think, is the caveat that separates it. And, you know, when you, I think, time in the game and being able to have gotten something that was critically acclaimed and then follow up with it is quite difficult. Because you could have named this anything else and we could have still related it somewhat like this sounds like 1999 what many consider your best but mm -hmm. if you go nah take my best and i'm putting this out right next to it and it still and for it to still stand up i think um is is something that reason would have to accomplish first for, for me to be able to make that um Bless excuse you. me i'm i'm allergic to unequal comparisons <laughs> <laughs> that's funny all right so then um joey or boogie You see, what Miles is trying to do right now, ladies and gentlemen, is um, stoke a very deep fight that we have outside of these cameras. Um, that's tough. That's tough, and I cannot answer that. I got one for you. Isaiah Rashad or Joey? Isaiah, but... I mean, I think I think there's a there's a consistency there. I think you could put two thousand up with the houses burning, and if you wanted to argue with me track for track, I'd argue with you. But I I, I wouldn't be mad at you. But I think Isaiah's has there's a there's more of a consistent three there with um, Sylvia demo, Sun's tirade, and the house is burning. I think Joey's got a a tight a tough two. A tough two, but I think what Isaiah has been able to do, and even there's something about Isaiah's creativity um, that, in like charting his own path, that puts that puts him above Joey for me personally. Um, so it, for me, it would be it would be Isaiah, Boogie, Joey, and Reason got some work to do. Hey, I like that. I like that. We just highlighted the Joey or Jid. Joey, really. Easily, just, huh? Just, just got a lot of work. 
just got a lot of work to do because okay. um the the the, the scope man the, there's lo- there's longevity value there's longevity value right um Jed's never story could be considered it, it is it isn't a standout per se as 1999 but it is a, a standout for his catalog and since then I think Jid has yet to be able to offer us something that is um as um that is as 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 dope as a never story that that's a top to bottom play I think if I'm not mistaken Jid's next project is supposed to be the forever story so you may have that Ooh. you may have that coming to you um Ooh. but yeah for right now I think Joey should um should really just take a victory lap, man. This is this is amazing in terms of the time in the game. Um, New York has gone up and down, but for him to be here in, in 2022 with a West Side feature, uh, I think is, yeah, I think it's that's beautiful. Um, I hope he got some champagne on him, and uh, I'm going to keep this in rotation for a good little minute. I'm going to get this a solid four out of five. Um, four. Mm. Good, like, Good foe. There's it's and and that's that's high praise. Five out of five is is tough. It would have to push boundaries and hit me in a different way. But in terms of solid, solid music that shows growth, this is a nice little foe for me. And I'd like to say, man, you know, um, and and if we're being vulnerable, something that Joey's album did to me that many albums haven't done. It, I got very emotional listening to this album. I got I got very emotional, man. I I really. I, I I might have even teared up on that survivor's guilt. You know, this is um, one of the things that we we started this show miles a few years ago, and we try to keep, we we try to make this show happen a few times. Um, it wasn't until the death of my cousin who took his life that we we went all in. You know, and um, one of the reasons for that was just because for anyone that was going through something. We wanted to create a space where people can like, if you're going through something dark, you can have some of this positive energy that we bring um, and hopefully get you up out of that, out of that place, you know? And it's something that I think about a lot, man. Um, I, I spoke to you specifically about the traumas of not being able to look at trees for half a year. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd look at trees and get sick because that's, that's, that's the, that's, that's how my cousin decided to go out, man. So listening to the story and listening to this this homage that he pays to his to his to his best friend who he lost um and and the feelings of it it resonated a lot and was very deep man so you know hip hop for for us is not just music we enjoy it's therapy it's it's got healing components to it it's it's life music it's uplifting music it's you know it's it's a lot to it so from for me i want to thank this brother for making this album um, the intention behind it to help people that are going through something similar is definitely felt on my end, man. And so just wanted to say definitely big ups to this album, four out of five, man. And uh, I look forward to to the next offering that this brother has. Just got to let that breathe. Appreciate that, bro. Appreciate you sharing that. Appreciate you being vulnerable and powerful and open and... Um... Yeah, I, I just like that album touched people. I, I know that you connecting and sharing how it touched you is probably gonna touch people too. So 
Always a pleasure to do this thing, man. Always a pleasure to talk about hip hop. Um, was excited to talk about this album with you. It was tough to not bring it up in pre-pro. Be like, yo, it's good, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what this show robs us of. This show robs us of the ability to be able to talk as best friends and be like, yo, I love this music. <laughs> yeah, but yes, I, I, I'm, I'm, I appreciate you telling your story because I definitely thought of you know all those same things. So, you know, that's family to me too. So. Um, that's it gets deep it gets it gets really real and that's what we're here for that's why we do this um that's what this space is because we know we know we know we know yeah man we know people just going through it and we know it's way too many podcasts and so somewhere between those two truths lies this show this is a celebration of celebrating this is a celebration of life this is a celebration of how good it feels to have good hip-hop don't it feel good's way this ain't a podcast and it feels great True, big true, big show, big, big show, big experience energy, right? And the podcaster is formerly known as Chestnut and Hazelnut. Uh, <laughs> listen, we hope that you have enjoyed rocking with us this Sunday, man. This is this is um this is a special place. Shout out to Hassan, our producer, for holding it down on the boards. Uh, we hope that you eat something delicious, that you hug somebody you love, uh, and you listen to some music that feels good to you. Peace, water, we gone.